0: Vet VetGirl here today with Dr. Garrett Pachtinger, who's the COO and co-founder of VetGirl. And what we're going to talk about today is the role of a criticalist in your veterinary hospital. So Garrett, thanks so much for joining me today on this VetGirl podcast.
1: Absolutely. I love my podcast, and of course, we both love Vet Girl and critical care, so it's a great opportunity to talk about what we do each and every day.
0: So, you know, it's interesting. The stats just came out on your typical criticalist, and I would say... You know, about 65% were in private practice. The rest were mostly in academia. A smaller portion were in industry. And You and I are a little bit biased because we both trained at the same place at University of Pennsylvania, and we're both in private practice at large specialty clinics. But I was wondering if you could just talk to me a little bit about the role of a criticalist in the veterinary hospital, whether or not you're in academia versus private practice, and some advice you might have for some residents in emergency critical care who are about to finish their residency in terms of what to look for or what to be prepared for.
1: Of course, and I think Justine and I have both been part of some very important meetings over the past couple of years, and some of it a little bit behind the scenes is eye-opening for ER doctors, prospective residents, or even current residents, because I think there is a misconception that critical care specialists work 8 a.m. till 3 p.m., Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and they have, you know, a five-day off week or whatever it may be, and they have holidays off, and they don't work nights, and they they don't work weekends, and they only work a couple hours a day. They sit in the intensive care unit, and they evaluate magnesiums every 30 minutes on the ICU septic abdomen, and that's that's all they do. And it's a little bit eye-opening, I think, to many residents or prospective residents, and unfortunately even some new criticalists that just didn't understand what they were getting into that, Critical care medicine, whether you are in academia or whether you are in private practice, is not a Monday through Thursday, you know, nine a.m. to three p.m. type of job, and then you have a great weekend and and nightlife to go off to after that. For me, and I'm sure Justine would agree, one of the first realizations is is just during our residency, watching the relationship of the specialists that were there. And there were criticalists and quite honestly, very notable criticalists that were there until 10 p.m. at night. And that was their shift or they were on call on a Friday night or Saturday night. And that was the first realization for me that this wasn't going to be a nine to three type of situation. But what I think that we're seeing as well is as there are more criticalists, and I think the new statistic, Justine, correct me if I'm wrong, but it just came out there are approximately 500 small animal diplomats currently in circulation which is really growing by leaps and bounds each and every year with anywhere from 50 to 80 or so new diplomats every year that we're seeing where are they all going and the reality is if you just take a step back clearly they cannot all be going into academia because there's only a certain number of veterinary schools out there and not all of them even have academic positions available or open. And so most of them, even if they're being trained in academia, end up in private practice. And so there are more and more diplomats out there. And what we're quickly realizing is that, again, it's not a nine to three type of situation where you are working potentially all seven days of a week, hopefully not in the same week, but you may have shifts that are Friday or Saturday or Sunday. You may have swing shifts. So you may come in at noon or 3 o'clock and work until 9 o'clock or at midnight. You may have on-call shifts whether it's for that sick or septic abdomen or that ventilator patient and so I think that new graduates prospective residents and new diplomats have to have an opportunity and their eyes open for opportunities that are varied in not only location but shifts available as there are more and more diplomats that come into practice. Personally I work in uh, hospital setting where currently we have two hospitals uh, with a opportunity to a third one hopefully being built in about a year and in our hospital private practice setting we have seven potentially eight criticalists so with two buildings and now seven criticalists and a seven day a week intensive care unit service clearly there's lots of opportunity to work different shifts and you're not going to be somebody that is able to work Monday through Thursday, have no weekend hours or no holiday hours, unless it's a very, very special situation. So it is something where new and older residents are having to have more variable shifts and an understanding that that is likely going to be something that we see more and more of in the future as we have a growth of diplomats that are entering private practice.
0: You know, it's really interesting. I finished my residency about 14 years ago and it has changed so much. And, you know, unfortunately, what I've seen just in those past 13, 14 years is unfortunately, a criticalist is often the last specialist to be hired at specialty clinics. And so I still think we're trying to find our quote unquote niche of where we fit in into a busy private practice. Um, that's a little bit different with academia. And um, Garrett and I will talk about some of the pros and cons of being in, you know, academia versus private practice shortly. Uh, but just keep in mind that role of a criticalist is very, very different from human medicine where they're an intensivist or you're an emergency physician. Veterinary medicine is different in that we've sort of blended emergency critical care together. And so it's a great opportunity for veterinary specialists in emergency critical care to be able to have a very diverse job, but you have to be aware it's something where it's not just sitting back in an ICU tweaking magnesium levels, as as Garrett had mentioned. Garrett, take it
1: away. And I wanted to spitball off of that comment there. The difference of what a criticalist likely does in truth in both private practice and in somewhat of academia's, they're not just sitting in the intensive care unit focused on the patient's lactate or magnesium all day long. Even though I may have intensive care unit shifts in my hospital, I'm expected to, and quite honestly, as a criticalist and trained emergency room specialist, I'm very proficient in seeing emergency room cases at the same time. In some ways, we are the masters of multitasking, so I can be evaluating that septic admin while I am seeing other cases. And unfortunately, I think that some criticalists new and residents think when they come out of their residency, they are going to sit in the ICU, and they're going to only have to work on critical patients, and the post-operative concern and what they don't expect or want to do is see the ear infection, to see the limping dog, to see the one-time diarrhea or the hot spot where the reality is if you are going to earn your keep in practice, you are going to have to be not only a multitasker but able to see those emergency room cases to make yourself worth it to have in the practice. So absolutely, yes, as a criticalist, I would absolutely prefer to see the septic abdomen or treat the post-op unstable GDV. The reality is I'm doing that at the same time I'm seeing the ear infection, the limping dog, the blocked cat, the referral for pancreatitis, whatever it may be, but typically in a private practice, unless it's an incredibly unique setting, most people have to have the ability to work in an ICU mentality but also be a specialist in the emergency room and see whatever walks in the door be an advocate for that practice and quite honestly the the referral base wants that they want to know when they send over one of their Clients, no matter what it's for, that they are seeing the best of the best. They are seeing a specialist like yourself potentially, and that's what they have the comfort level in doing. So, to be an effective and successful criticalist and private practice, you likely have to understand that you're not just going to be dedicated to the intensive care unit, ventilating 24 hours a day or running lactates every 14 seconds. You have to see the ER case. Whatever walks in the door, that's going to be yours.
0: Great point. Although don't knock the eight to three shift, man. That's what I work. <laughs> so I will say... Not,
1: not knocking it. That's what we want. Unfortunately, <laughs> I will tell you from experience, it's very hard to get that shift. So I think that new graduates, while I would love to, to take your shift, Justine, I think new graduates unfortunately have to expect they may be working some swings.
0: Exactly. You know, you bring up some great points. And I will say, and you probably agree, I mean, when we trained at Penn, Penn was extremely busy. But we were also staffed with, you know, a 7A to 7P intern. We were staffed with a first-year resident, a third-year resident, a senior faculty. So we typically had three to five people overlapping in the emergency room at any given time. The one thing I will say that is unique, um, I practice at Animal Emergency and Referral Center in Minnesota, and I'm there two days a week. And I honestly it is so slamming. One of those days, I feel like I'm busier than during my residency because I'm the only criticalist in the hospital. And so we don't have that unique swing set up. We don't have multiple doctors on it, shifts, overlapping. And that's going to vary with the specialty clinic you work at. But literally, you know, when I walk in on my Friday at, you know, 745, I'm the hospitalist. So I take all the case transfers. So every single patient, for the most part, that's in the hospital is typically uh, managed by me. But then I'm also seeing emergencies that are walking in, plus referrals that are coming in for ultrasound for that, you know, Friday hemoabdomen that classically comes in or that foreign body. And so super, super busy. And, you know, again, may vary depending on what specialty practice you work at. But I think one key thing that people have to be aware of, whether or not you're a specialist or a general practitioner, is in real life, you have to generate your income to pay for your income, right? So typically the rule is you have to be able to pay off or generate four to five times your current salary for it to be profitable for that hospital. And so if you're just finishing a residency or you're a criticalist that thinks that, you know, I'm just going to be a hospitalist oftentimes you're not generating that revenue in the hospital. And that may be one of the reasons why criticalists are the last specialists to be hired in a specialty clinic. Garrett, what do you think?
1: I agree. And I think that there are a lot of, rightfully so, new graduates that don't want to be the first criticalist in a practice because it's very hard to break the model. If there has never been a criticalist before, likely there has been somebody in the practice doing something similar. And The way I usually rationalize it is by saying the post-op surgical patients that are critical were managed by the surgeon. The medically critically ill patients were treated by the internist because many practices have an internist and a surgeon before a criticalist. And so to break the mold and come in as a criticalist and tell the surgeon, don't worry, I will manage your post-op cases or to tell the internist, I will take the sick IMHA or the sick DKA, that may be a challenge because those were revenue generated cases for them prior to you coming in. And so you have to have a tolerant hospital staff to accept a criticalist that's coming in, and rightfully so, there are a lot of new graduates that don't want to be the first person to try to have that fight, so to speak. Because if you come in and you tell the surgeon, don't worry, you can keep that case, I'll just help you so you can cut more cases, I'll manage it. Or the internist, don't worry, stick it in the ICU, I will make sure while you're seeing your other cases, I stabilize that patient, which is all great and good and makes for great teamwork in a altruistic, mentality. The problem is come the end of the year when somebody evaluates the financial status of the hospital and they see the surgeon generating even more revenue than before and the internist generating even more revenue before, unfortunately there are times where that doesn't trickle back down to the criticalists where it's appreciated. The reason the surgeon was able to cut the extra case or two that day is because you were managing their post-op cases that always doesn't equal out. And so you have to find a way in your hospital, whether you're the first or second criticalist, to make sure that the value that you're bringing into the hospital is appreciated. And so there are different financial systems on who gets revenue generated and how they get revenue generated, but again, it does go back to me, again, the way I practice medicine and similar to Justine, not only are we managing the critical cases that we're tasked to do, but we're seeing ER cases as they walk through the door as the primary clinician. And so to, again, agree with Justine, we have to generate revenue, we have to justify our financial worth to the hospital, and usually that means not just being the hospitalist with inpatients that are technically somebody else's, but we are actively pursuing and generating our own revenue, seeing our primary care cases and being efficient team members in the hospital.
0: And if I could just give a little bit of advice, I would say if you are a criticalist who's joining a clinic for the first time and you're the very first criticalist they ever had, my general philosophy in life is be a good team player, but ideally don't make any dramatic changes for the first three to six months. Because it's really important that you build the team relationship, that you work really well with others, that you show them what you're capable of. But honestly, um, you know, having massive transition in case management or how things are handled is really overwhelming that we veterinary professionals are not very good about that sudden change. So again, my general rule is take the time to build those relationships. And then, you know, you can make some more changes once you feel like you've gotten some quote unquote street cred. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. I think that there are lots of other specialties that may be similar. Our hospital recently just hired an anesthesiologist and anesthetist. And similar to the conversation you just had, Justine, she came in. She's great. She's wonderful. She did not make sweeping changes. But I do think the more that she's become comfortable in the hospital the more she's been able to work with the other team members to see what she can do to best help, and they realize the worth she has in the hospital. So I think that's a a very similar specialty in veterinary medicine and one that we probably can learn from each other in becoming the first in a private practice setting because like criticalists, anesthesiologists are very similar. They have been typically viewed as more of academic, but we're definitely seeing the benefit in private practice. So completely agree. Come in. Learn about the practice fit in with the practice, make sure it's a good fit for you. And as the other members of your team see your worth, it'll be a lot easier to make small transitions that ultimately we hope will benefit the patient the most.
0: The last thing I would bring up as a criticalist or even as a general emergency doctor or general practitioner is our field of veterinary medicine is so predisposed towards burnout. And part of that is because we have poor self-awareness or self-care, we have poor work-life balance. And, you know, you guys have all seen it's led to the increased prevalence of suicide or suicide ideation within our field. And Garrett and I are huge proponents and advocates for wellness. And so I always tell people, while it is very, very important that you work really hard for the first few years in your first new job, uh, regardless of, you know, it's in private practice in academia and in industry, wherever, it is really important to be able to set your boundaries too. And so, you know, if you're ventilating a case 24 hours a day for seven days, followed by, you know, three days of working a swing shift or an overnight, uh, you will get burnt out. So, really important that you just be cognizant of the importance of wellness and self care. We've written a couple of blogs on this. And I know for me, I became efficient as a criticalist through my internship at ANGEL, uh, which is in Boston. And, you know, when you have 20 cases to soap, before you hit the list and start seeing emergencies. I think one of the easiest clues towards having that wellness and having that uh, self-care is by being a more efficient veterinarian or or emergency critical care doctor or specialist. Um, So again, make sure to take care of yourself regardless of, you know, if you're a criticalist entering private practice versus academia versus industry. And the last thing I'll say is the awesome thing about being a veterinarian, whether or not you're a criticalist or a uh, emergency doctor or GP is we have nothing but job options. We have so much diversity in our life. I never thought I'd be working from home three days a week and working at a specialty clinic two days a week. Uh, but for me, it's a perfect balance and I love it. And so don't be inhibited by thinking that, you know, you're going to work 60 hours of overnights, you know, forever. Uh, you have nothing but job diversity in our field of veterinary medicine. Garrett, anything else to add?
1: just piggybacking on what you said earlier, find things that make you happy, that make your life better. I know this is something that's very, very simple and very easy, and I'm not sure that it know, happy is probably the best word, but definitely with the busyness and a time stress and struggle of the ER, one tip or trick that I like doing for myself is if I have a shift that starts at 7 a.m., I don't walk in at 7 a.m. because to me, when I'm expected to walk in at 7 a.m., I'm expected to hit the ground running, to start seeing cases, to have to soap everything. So I love the style up. I'll come in 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour 45 minutes early depending on how busy it's been just so I can sit there with my cup of coffee in the morning I'm not technically expected to be there yet I can leisurely soap my cases start my medical records and then when 7 o'clock hits I feel like I'm in a more serene and calm place where I don't have to rush in to the hustle and bustle of everything so that may not work for everybody but find little things throughout your day whether you're a criticalist ER doctor or you're another part of the veterinary profession find little things that make your day easier for me it's getting my cup of coffee and calmly soaping my patients in the morning before I'm expected to be stressed seeing the rest of the day. So find what works for you to help decrease burnout, stress, struggle, and improve your sort of daily life and daily assessment.
0: Couldn't agree more. When I used to start my day at Angel, knowing you were about to walk into 20 cases plus a really busy emergency list, I would literally just drink my one cup of coffee, sit in my office for a few quiet moments you know, in the dark or in a a very uh, peaceful scenario just to get all my stuff organized. So, you know, I think the biggest thing is know that as a criticalist, regardless of wherever you take a job in academia or private practice, you are A, going to speak to pet owners. So you can't go into it thinking, nope, I'm just going to be a hospitalist and kick it back. Uh, You do need to speak to pet owners and generate revenue and CER cases and be a diverse criticalist. B for wellness and self-care to prevent that burnout to be efficient and to realize that you have to find things to be happy and see if you're that first time criticalist going into a specialty clinic. Embracing change, but realizing it takes a long time for other people to embrace that change. So really taking the time to bond and work with that team, not make any sudden changes for three to six months. And then from there, building it out the way that you see very, very slowly. And with that, we hope you have found some of these words of advice from both Garrett and and myself helpful um, as you venture onto your path as a criticalist.